it is possible to to experience victory. But for me, though, it is the taste of the cookie. <laughs> <laughs> well, for me, it's the ice cream. You know, yeah. Right. Exactly. All things in moderation. Welcome to Talk and Truth, the podcast that brings together conservative pastor Brian Clark and famous comedian Dan Whitney, a.k.a. Larry the Cable Guy. I hope this ain't going to be a disaster. Oh, boy, here we go. They'll be talking truth about the Bible and life. Now let's join Brian for today's look at God's Word, followed by conversation and a little fun with Brian, Dan, and today's guest, Pastor Nat Crawford. Now, here's Brian. People can argue whether they believe Genesis chapters 1 through 3 are true or not. They can argue whether they think God was telling the truth when he said the consequences of sin is death. But there can be no argument about whether or not people die. Death is a reality in our world, and we feel it deeply. So the question should be, since death is real, is there any way back to paradise? I mean, is there any hope? Adam and Eve sinned against God and introduced death into the world. Spiritual death was immediate. They were separated from God. The process of physical death began, which would include things like disease, suffering, and violence, like Cain killing his brother Abel. Death reminds us we're not God. Physical death reminds us of the greater death, spiritual death. It's greater because it lasts forever. I like to think of physical death as the warning shot that we'd better deal with our spiritual death before it's too late. But how do we do that? Right after Adam and Eve's sin in Genesis chapter 3, God makes a promise that through the seed of a woman, God will send one who will crush the head of the serpent. In other words, it's the first hint of a coming Savior to make a way back to paradise. The big issue at play is whether we will acknowledge God as God and receive His salvation, or insist on functioning as our own God and live life on our terms. Frank Sinatra was famous for singing the song, I Did It My Way. I once heard him introduce the song as our national anthem. He's right about that. Perhaps Frank Sinatra and Kane could sing a duet. I did it my way, because that's exactly the problem. Genesis 5 introduces us to some genealogical records that seem to be of little interest to us. This is one of those chapters that if you're reading the Bible, you get to this chapter and lose interest pretty quickly. I totally understand that. However, the message in this chapter is extremely important because it's the genealogical record of those who surrender to God as God. When Cain killed Abel, Eve had another son named Seth to take his place. Seth, like Abel, walked with God. What we find in Genesis 5 is the record of the godly line of Seth. The text records ten generations, and each ends with the words, and he died, and he died, and he died. People live, and they die. So now what? This again gets back to the discussion regarding worldviews. If there is no God, and we are simply here by chance, death is the end, and there is nothing more. 
If that's the case, then live it up. Go for it. But here's the problem. That doesn't work. It doesn't lead to happiness. Usually it only makes us more miserable. But if Genesis is true, there is a God and there is life after death. And this world is not all there is. The genealogy finally gets to a man by the name of Enoch. He is described as a man who walked with God. This language, of course, takes us back to Genesis 3, when God would walk with Adam and Eve in the garden paradise in the cool of the day. Enoch surrendered to God and found life on God's path. The text goes on to say, And he was not, for God took him. Rather than saying he died, it says, And he was not, for God took him. What that means is that Enoch didn't die, but rather walked into the presence of God forever. It's poetic language for saying that those in the godly line of Seth, those who surrender to God, don't simply die, but transition into the presence of God forever. For those who believed God's promise to send a Savior, God offered life after death with him forever in paradise. For those who turn to God, death doesn't win. God wins. Of course, we would understand today that God ultimately fulfilled his promise as Jesus became the seed of a woman to be the Savior of the world. For those willing to recognize their need for a Savior, God forgives our sins and offers us eternal life with him in paradise forever. Do we still die physically? Yes. But death doesn't win. It's simply the transition into the presence of God forever. This is the promise to those who surrender to God and His salvation. Of course, for those who are determined to be their own God, they reject God's salvation. They are determined to save themselves. They'll do it their own way, which only leads to eternal death apart from God. Again, there are two paths. There's no middle ground here. To reject God's Savior, Jesus, is to choose the way of Cain. As a person made in the image of God, you have a choice. But why would you choose the way of Cain when you could walk with God in paradise forever? Let's bring in Dan and Nat and talk about this. Guys, one of the things... I'd really like us to talk about in this episode is this idea of two paths. So this is a really important part of the earlier part of Genesis. So you have one path that is defined by those who surrender to God as God and believe they're going to find life on that path. The other path is the path of Cain, what the New Testament calls the way of Cain, which is this determination that I'm going to be my own God I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to live life on my terms. These are the two paths, and every single one of us uh, has to pick one path or the other. Well, first off, getting out of bed in the morning, I realize I am not my own God. (laughs) I mean, if I was God, I'd be able to get up without any pain. You know what I mean? It's like you go to bed and you wake up and your ankle hurts. It's like, what did I do? I just slept. Now my ankle hurts. So right away... I I am under the control of someone else. Mm-hmm. I, I am not my own God. 
I've never understood why people, they always search for, you know people are always searching for something. They're always looking for happiness. They're always trying to find that hole in their heart, fill it with something, you know. And they, I, I just don't understand why they reject the one thing that will fill that hole. It's like they try everything else except Jesus. Hmm. And that's the one thing that'll fill it. And I don't, I can never understand why people will do that. You know, it's not like uh, re- following Jesus is unlike anything else. It's like he never asked for money and he's not, he, you know, he's not, he, he doesn't want you to do anything but love him and believe in him and, and read his words. Right. It's all he wants you to do and let him work with you. And, and they don't like that. Hmm. I guess it's because Jesus tells them they're sinning and they want to be able to sin. Hmm. So people think that uh, that's why they reject it. I think they pick all these other religions because they can kind of be their own god, mm. you know? Mm. Am I making any sense here? Look, I'm not a theologian. I'm just a regular guy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think it's fascinating how much even Christians struggle with this, though. I mean, here we have found our hope, and we've found the thing that we uh, we need most, uh, a Savior, you know, as you talked about that that hole, and Christ is the one who can fill that. But yet, as you you know alluded to, we wake up every morning, and we may realize physically that uh, we're not God because of our aches and pains. But yet, it's a constant struggle. It's a constant struggle to really live a life that is in obedience to Christ, uh, because we do wrestle with that. We do have free will. You yeah, know? I think it's helpful to realize every single one of us as people made in the image of God, struggle with this. Yeah. There's no one on the face of the planet that doesn't. There is something deep within us that wants to be our own God. Right. And it shows up in different ways with different people. Right. But, the, but at the end of the day, every time we give in to temptation, hmm. it's because in that moment, I'm choosing to be my own God and believe my way is better than God's way. Mm-hmm. And uh, and you've said it. It comes back to whether or not we actually trust God. Do we really believe that what he says is true? And I can only speak for myself, but there are some days, some moments, I guess the answer is no. But where I find great peace is knowing that my salvation and my eternal hope is not dependent upon my performance. <laughs> it's rather on God's work. So what Christ did, and I think that's such a big differentiator for us as Christians, is yes, we're going to struggle. Yes, we'll go off and play God from time to time, but we don't have to live in fear of rejection by God. Well, yeah, that's the thing. You, you, you try and do good. You know you're not going to. I mean, even the Bible says you're not going to do it. That's why Jesus had to die for you, because mm-hmm. you can't do it. Now, I don't think when I do something I'm not supposed to do, and I feel horrible, and I feel guilty about it, I know that's the Holy Spirit going, dude, what, did you, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, and I feel bad about it. But when I do that, though, I don't feel like I was, like, being my own God, like— you know what I mean? If I do something I shouldn't do, mm-hmm. I don't. But I guess I, in a sense, I am because I know better. So I'm going to do this anyway, and so I guess it's like I'm commanding my own. Am I? Is that correct? Right. So is that what you mean by being your own god? Yeah. Like you make a decision that you know you probably shouldn't do this. It's probably not the right thing to do, but you do it anyway. 
uh, and then after you do it, you're like, oh man, you know. So is that is that what you're meaning about being your own god? Yeah. Like you you you've taken that made that decision for yourself, so you made yourself your god, and you exactly made you, that you're acting like you're the captain when you're really right. not. He's the one driving driving. So the it's kind of like step aside for a minute. I got this. Exactly right. Right. I think I think too. If you think of every temptation, is the invitation to meet a legitimate need, but through illegitimate means. Hmm. So in that moment. I'm saying I can't trust God with this area of my life, so I'm going to take charge. I'm going to do it my way. Uh, so over the years, I've found if I think it through that way, it helps me get to the core issue so it doesn't become a pattern. I don't keep doing the same thing over and again. Why, why can't I trust God with this area of my life? Why, why do I have to take charge? Why do I have to try to be God in this particular area? You, let me ask you this. What do you say to like the uh, alcoholic that he does not want to do that and he loves Jesus? He's he's gone forward in the church and he loves Jesus and he wants to live for Jesus and do his best. And then every now and then he is like in this situation. Oh man, it's like it's like me and cookies. <laughs> I'm you know I love food. And I know I shouldn't gorge myself. It's a sin not to take care of your body and to be a complete hog, you know. But the temptation is so strong. So say he has a couple of drinks and then that one night he slips back into it. And he's like, I mean, is he, my question would be, is he, did he really get saved? Or is he pretending himself? You know what I'm saying? I mean, is the guy, I mean, he really has a problem with it. It's like, it's really strong. The devil, they say the devil comes at you when you're at your, where you're your weakest. Everybody has a point where they are their weakest. They're doing good in this, and they're doing good in this, and they're living for the Lord in this. But every now and then, there's that weakness, and here comes that army of devils in there and just making the temptation so great. Now, I know God says he won't make any temptation that's so great that you can't escape from it. But what about the what about the person that just, he just, he didn't take the way out? Well, I think lots of people struggle with uh, patterns of sin, whether it's an addiction or or habits or whatever, uh, and I, you know, I'd be careful about judging whether or not somebody's saved or not. Right. Uh, no, uh, for I sure, agree. all of us as Christians still struggle and mess up. Well, I, hear, I only say that because I heard people go, "Well, he wasn't saved to begin with. If he's having that problem, that's not true. We struggle every day sure. with things, and sure, everybody. the devil comes at you harder and harder because yep. you love Jesus. It doesn't mean he's not saved." You know, but the point yep. is that person, those people make that person think that they're not saved. That was my my question. Yeah, yeah which is right. I hear people say that too. And all of us as believers struggle with stuff. We're all on the journey. Right. It's just different stuff. But I think no matter what it is, trying to get at the core of what what is the issue here so and for an alcoholic, it isn't just the taste of the beverage. There's something more going on and trying to figure out what are those issues. Right. 
because uh, it, it is possible to to experience victory. But for me, though, it is the taste of the cookie. <laughs> <laughs> well, for me, it's the ice cream. You know, yeah. Right. Exactly. All things in moderation. Yeah. And so the more that we get into God's Word and the more that we follow Him and the more that He continues to sanctify us from the inside out, eventually we'll come to a place where we say, that's enough. Yeah, so there's a couple things. One is, I think a lot of people get into what I call the sin, sorry, sin, sorry, sin, sorry cycle. Right. And repentance is different from that. Repentance Mm -hmm. is putting a stake in the ground and really making a decision that that needs to stop, and you figure out what's necessary to go a different direction. Right. Uh, Because people do get in that uh, kind of that habitual pattern, but they never really face the issue. And God wants people to experience freedom. He wants more for people. It, it isn't an issue of whether they're saved or not. It's an issue of experiencing the life that God offers and and, and trusting him with that. Yeah, I remember you years ago giving uh, an illustration of, of a cage that the um, door was, was open. Christ shattered the door, ripped it off, and yet we as Christians can sometimes crawl back into the cage. Well, we're free. He has freed us, but yet we go back. And the nice thing is, again, like I said earlier, we're not going to lose our salvation because we crawl back into that cage. Christ has already paid the price. It's done. But we have to remember, we are free, and we do have a choice. And it is the working of both our will and the work of the Holy Spirit going hand in hand. And right. as you said, we got to go back to God's Word. We get to renew our minds. Here, back to the Bible, uh, through the Center for Bible Engagement, we actually uh, discovered something called the power of four. That if you engage in God's Word four or more times a week, you will see life change. You will see an actual change in our behavior. Right. Think about that. So there is a connection between our obedience to God, our in, engaging in God's Word, and allowing it to transform us with the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why I love Christianity. It's not just a one-way ticket to heaven, though it is that. It does give us peace with God, but it also changes our lives day by day and bit by bit. And again, thankfully, if we do fall back into sin, right. if we do go back into those old patterns, we can rest in God's grace. That is great freedom. And it absolutely is. And and God never said there wouldn't be consequences for things that we do. But Preach we, that. But, but he forgives us. I right. think a lot of people, that's their misunderstanding about Christianity they see Christians that live a certain way, and they think, oh, these Christians are a bunch of hypocrites. Hmm. They don't understand that we're getting sanctified, that we're going to do things that we shouldn't do. We're going to do things that we, you know, obviously that we shouldn't hmm. do. But I think people misunderstand Christianity that way because they think if you're a Christian, if you're not living a perfect life, you're a fraud. And if it, that's not true, hmm. we can't live a perfect life. That's why we are Christians, and we still do do dumb things. But, but what you were just saying, that the more that we engage with Christ, the more we stay connected, hmm. we start to change and start to make better decisions. We still do dumb things, but we're forgiven. We do have a consequence for it. Hmm. But And it is. It's freeing, hmm. knowing that... 
God's working with you, and he knows you're still going to do something stupid, hmm. but uh, just knowing that he loves us that much, that he's still going to forgive those sins. It's awesome. Thanks for listening to Talkin' Truth. Brian and Dan will be back soon with more episodes, so be sure to subscribe. Today's Talkin' Truth is powered by Go Tandem, the free spiritual fitness app. Download Go Tandem today and get spiritually fit. Get it done.